Okay, uh, if you'd like to turn with me to John chapter uh, 3, uh, we look. Uh, we have a series called People Who Met With Jesus, and uh, today we're going to look at uh, Nicodemus. So we're looking at John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 uh, to 10. Now there was a man of the Pharisees uh, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he uh, enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, you are the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand uh, these things. Today, what we're going to do is consider uh, what is theologians call the new birth or actually being born again. Jesus um, said to Nicodemus in chapter 3 and verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He was actually speaking uh, to us all uh, when he's saying that. Nicodemus was not a special case. That would have been a reply that he would have given to anybody who was coming to him and was not uh, what we would call saved. You and I must be born again or we will not see the kingdom of God. That means we will not be saved, uh, we will not be a part of God's family, we will not be, we will not be part- participating in heaven, we will be participating uh, in hell. Why does he say hell at this point? Why do I mention hell at this point? We've just had a great time of worship and now he's mentioning hell. Well, Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees. He was one of the most uh, religious leaders that you could get. He was serious about his religion. But actually, Jesus said to these guys, these religious leaders in Matthew chapter chapter 23, he said to them, woe. That wasn't woe, you know, woe. That was woe, as in agony, okay? He didn't go, hello, Pharisees, woe. He, he went, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. He said that you travel across the sea to make one, uh, one single um, proselyte, one convert. You will go miles for one convert. And then he said, when you get this one convert, this one proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. That's shocking. 
Shocking statement in regard to what Jesus thinks. Later on, he would say, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? So what we can gather here is that this point here where Jesus meets uh, Nicodemus and in regard to the issue of the Pharisees and in regard to us is not a marginal issue. It is... It is central. Hell and heaven are central to our thinking and to our life. Eternity hangs in the balance on the description of this question, are you born again or not? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So frankly, I think that you'll find that the new birth is very unsettling. If it isn't for you today, it should be. (laughs) Because today's question is, what happens in the new birth? What happens when you are born again? Before I try and and, uh, answer that question, let me mention to you a concern that I have about this message. I'm just aware that this message will upset some of you. Um, You may say to me afterwards, there were no jokes in it, Nigel. There were no one of those sort of those build up moments, Nigel. There were none of that. And the, the truth is that actually the issue of salvation is serious. It is extremely serious. Your salvation is serious. The issue of other people being saved is serious. If you want to ask, what is the most Serious issue that the world is facing today, it is the salvation of those who are lost. It is not an economic issue or a war issue. It is not any other issue other than the salvation of those that would be lost. So therefore, it is difficult to tell you a a joke about that. But more than that, it has some theological... um, reasons as to why it is a difficult subject. And the first one is because of our hopeless condition. Jesus teaches about the new birth and it confronts us with our hopeless spiritual and moral and legal position, apart from God's wonderful grace. Before the new birth happens to us, we are described in the Bible as spiritually dead, We are described as morally selfish. We want to bless us. We're described as being rebellious people. We're described as legally guilty before God's law and his wrath. And when Jesus tells us that we must be born again, he's telling us that our position was that we were hopelessly unresponsive to the gospel, that we were quite corrupt, that we were very guilty. And apart from an amazing intervention of God in our lives, we do not like to hear that about ourselves. Now I have to to be honest with you, I was brought up with the issue of being a good strict Baptist where the preacher preached most weeks on the issue of sin. So I spent 20 something years listening to sermons on sin. I would suggest to you this day that actually we are very uncomfortable when the preacher still talks to us about our sin. Don't talk to me. 
And actually, it can provoke all sorts of um, feelings within us when we are told what we are like. But actually, the Bible does do that. It tells us what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to. And we mustn't just have a message of saved to. We must have a message of saved from. It is highly important that we keep those in balance. So it is unsettling when we talk about being born again. Because we have to do two things. We have to consider our own salvation and the way that worked in us. Have I been truly born again? And the other question is that what about the people who are not born again? People that yesterday you will have passed in the street. And the truth is that once we know what it means to be born again, that then the effect of born again stirs us to think about those who are not born again. So the journey that Jesus was wanting to take Nicodemus on was not just, hey, I want you to be born again. He was wanting us to understand the enormity of those who are not being born again. Now, I went into Debenhams yesterday. I want to confess to you. I did not walk around Debenhams looking around and thinking, I am amongst the lost. I'm amongst the lost. I'm amongst those going to hell. I didn't. When you press into Debenhams, where you've got those 75 ladies that are all having their stuff made up, pull the chair from within them and said, don't bother with the makeup, you're going to hell. I just didn't do it. And the reason is, that is this passage is that it not only wants to get under the skin of Nicodemus, it wants to get under his skin forever. He wants us to know that when we enter into places like Debenhams, not only am I born again, which is wonderful, but the people that I'm amongst are not. And so therefore, it, is, it wants to unsettle us. It is there to unsettle it. I am preaching to you this morning to unsettle you. I'll try and apologise for that later when we get on. I'll be an expert. Secondly, It unsettles us because we cannot cause the new birth. Teaching about Jesus' new birth being born again uh, is is unsettling because it refers to something that is done to us rather than something that we've done. John chapter 1 and verse 13 says this, Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God does a work. Peter says the same thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to whose great mercy he has what? Caused us to be born again. He's done it. We do not cause the new birth. God causes it. It is an absolute and astonishing word work of God. Any good thing that you have and I have did not cause the new birth It is a product of it. This means that being born again is absolutely taken out of our hands. It's not in our control. And it confronts us again with our hopelessness and helplessness and an absolute dependence on someone outside of ourselves. I cannot do anything apart from God. Now this is very, very unsettling. Because, because we're told that we can't do anything. We can't be born again. 
It's unsettling because, because we ask God about ourselves. And we ask God about how that came about and what happened. And it can lead to two things. One can be this. We can have an apathy about it. A huge apathy. And it works something like this. Hey, I'm born again. Hallelujah. And you get those wonderful meetings where, where we celebrate salvation. You know, salvation, wonderful sort of thing. But the product of that is that in regard to anything else, there is an absolute apathy in regard to the lost. Mainly because you've come to an understanding that God did it. God transformed you. God moved. So if God can do it for you, there's no worry then. God can do it for the people on the smelly counter in Debenhams. That's what you think. There can be an apathy. Secondly, is that there can be an anger that comes. And a frustration that comes. Why has God not saved my, my, my children, my husband, my wife? Why has God not saved my uncle, my auntie, my friends at school? So what happens is that the gospel because, becomes something of an anger thing in regard to your heart. It be, doesn't become a work of God. So the way that you share the gospel is out of frustration and anger and difficulty. It's confrontational and mixed in. So therefore, when we're talking about born again and talking about the gospel, all that it is doing for you right now is unsettling you. Fortunately, the Bible understands this. I'm not saying this. The Bible understands it. Thirdly, because the absolute freedom of God does confront of us, confront us. Therefore, what confronts us is that. We are spiritually dead in our selfishness and our rebellion. It says we are by nature children of God. Our rebellion is so deep within us that there was nothing in us that was going to stir us in regard to Jesus or the gospel. Therefore, (laughs) if we are going to be born again, it will rely... on ultimately on God and not on us. What does that make us feel? It is difficult because what you're doing in sharing the, the gospel is that you're actually saying this, that it does not mean that you, it means that you cannot do anything to save yourself. There is a response that we'll come back to, which is a response of faith. But there is a response. And some of the difficulty in regard to the gospel is a a difficulty of control. It is that, you see, the people do not want to give up control of their life and hand it over to somebody and say, you are in control of my life. Why do you think that Nicodemus came by night? Because not only was he in control of his life, but other people were in control of his life. And the big issue that confronts us, even in the issue of lordship, and even in the issue of Jesus as our master, is exactly that. That when we are born again, we're actually saying this, I'm not in control of this any longer. He is. He's the most important thing. And we do that. Ralph led us, didn't he, again. And he said, when the music fades, you know, and, and we said, no, it's, it's all about you, Jesus. 
And we're challenged, aren't we? Is it really? Is my, have I handed over absolutely? Is he in control of everything that is me? That's what it means to be born again. It means that. And it's hugely difficult when we're sharing the gospel because we're saying, you have to lay it all down and let him come into your life. It is an issue of control. So my hope is to stabilize you <laughs> before you go any longer. My hope is actually that we would see people saved through the gospel. And my hope is really that I don't really want to unsettle you. I, I really don't. Because it unsettles me. <laughs> so I don't want to do that. And, and I'm just aware that this, this subject does. Particularly if you are living with somebody who is not a Christian. It is just not easy. I want you to know from me that I have tried to be very careful in regard to my construction today, not to upset you. If I, if I could, if could, have caused you or am causing you any distress, please can you not hear me but hear the word of God rather than me. And, but also, I don't want to give people here who are not born again false hope. I mustn't do that. And I don't, want to, I don't want that to get confused with morality or religion or a spiritual life. I would ask that you engage on praying for us as elders as we preach the gospel. I feel every time that the gospel comes up uh, week after week, I personally feel very heavy about it. I've been challenged by it, uh, by Steve, on a regular basis. I just do. I feel I lack confidence. I have to say that at the beginning of my ministry, when I first was out full time, that I saw people saved on a regular basis through my preaching. This has been my worst situation that I've ever been in. Do you think this bothers me? By heck, it does bother me. It bothers me because it, I struggle with the issue of confidence. And I'm in front of you this morning struggling with the issue of confidence, knowing that I've got a text to preach on that I would rather not preach on. So I am, uh, Steve asked me and I lied. He said, do you feel disappointed about your own ministry? On, when we met as elders, I fobbed him off. The answer is, yes, I do. I do. It is something that uh, unsettles me too. And the reason is that, that I know that I have no power to save anyone. And if I did, I would, I would just would. I have no power. So I ask myself those great questions. What is God doing with you, Nigel? What is God doing with the salvation of people? I have to keep going back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 and 5 and keep knocking it into my head. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And I have to keep coming back to that and saying, what will I choose to believe? What will I choose to believe? So I don't want to unsettle you. Uh, I do want to stabilize you. I do want you to be stable in this. And I do long to see people saved. So let's ask some questions then. What happens in this being born again stuff that you get? Did it really come from America? I don't know. Let's try and answer this in, in several questions. Let's look at what happens 
when people are born again? Let's, look, let's compare it with, is it just another religion or is it a new life? What happens when new birth is, uh, occurs? Is it a supernatural experience? Is, is it something powerful and awesome? Is it something of the Spirit? And what happens in, in new birth? Is it just that we make an improvement? Are we just sort of saying something like this, that the way that we'll go with this is that Rachel um, be, will become born again. This is Rachel Harmon. And the way that we'll tell that she's born again is that she will dye her hair a different color and change her dress. Or are we looking for something deeper and wider with this? Those are sort of issues that we're, we're going to do. Because actually, that's what some believe, or not you laugh, but that's, there was a slight joke in that. But you would laugh. But actually, that can be what happens. People can adopt a behavior change rather than a new life change, and we will look at that. So here we go then. It's new life. It definitely isn't a new religion. Please hear me with this, because religion can be so consuming. I found it really interesting and and sad to watch the issues of the guy uh, in, in Sweden, was it Denmark, when he gunned down those people on the island? I don't know whether you watched the, the memorial services. And when you've got a nation that does not have a religion in it, that is known as being a, a nation that does not promote religion, isn't it interesting that all those services that they had looked slightly religious? I I would never condone what that guy did. But isn't it interesting that we, by nature, are drawn into religious formality, that it settles with us, sits with us? And what happens here in the new birth, it isn't getting new religion. It's getting new life. If you read with me again the first three verses, John 3, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came by night, coward, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless, uh, can do, uh, that you do unless God is within him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So John makes sure that, John makes sure that we know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, that he was a ruler of the Jews. And a Pharisee, they were the most religious guys that you'd ever met. They smelt good, looked good, spoke good, all that sort of stuff, dressed good. These were the guys that everybody else was impressed with. And everybody else was impressed with them because they made themselves impressive in front of the people. That was their idea. They were the pious ones. The ones that you would see in Debenhams by the smelling counter walking through with their hands together looking angelic. One's met those in prayer meetings, haven't they? They sort of pray the theologically correct prayer just to make sure that Nigel gets it right the next time. You know the type, don't you? They sort of have a way of speaking. They have a way of addressing you. They make you feel rubbish. <laughs> it's true. There was a guy who's died since in our church in Lewis. And uh, he was a wonderful guy. 
But he had it in his instinct to just, he felt he was the conscience of the church. So as this young guy in his 20s that would often preach, Tim, you let off, that we would get home and we'd have our two little kids and they would be in their little chairs and that sort of stuff. And he would come in and he'd say, I need to address you about your word. And he had that sort of, your word. And, and he could do that face thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, we were trying to do this thing and he was going, it's a, and when he prayed in our prayer meetings, he would raise his hands to his head and he would go, Lord. And what he did with you is that you felt when you went, Lord, you just, you just felt, no. And there would come a point and, he, and you just felt, now we're in the presence of God. That sort of thing. Rubbish. To this one, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Later on, he said to him, just so that you get it personally, you, guy, Nicodemus, you must be born again. What is John's point? John's point is this, all this religion, all this Pharisaic study, all this discipline, all this law-keeping, all this dressing right, all this speaking right, cannot replace the need for a new birth. In fact, actually... It points out that you need it. That you need it. It doesn't qualify you. It actually disqualifies you. What Nicodemus needs and what I need is not new religion. We don't need to, we don't need to leave formal religion and get charismatic religion. What we need to do is, is leave sin and have a new birth. That is what we need. And the point of referring to a new birth that brings new life into the one sense is that so Nicodemus would understand it. Nicodemus is alive, one would presume, because he walked there by night. Dead people don't walk. Perhaps they do in your films, but not in this one. He's breathing. He's thinking. He's acting. He's human. He's created in God's image. But evidently, Jesus thinks he's dead. Jesus thinks he's absolutely dead. He's unborn. He needs life. He's got plenty of religious activities and he's got plenty of religious zeal. And Jesus said to him, you do not need that. You do not need that. Just controversial moments for a second, which will just make the theologians sit up for a second. Then we'll move on. I actually believe that you can become so religious that, you, that demonic forces affect you. Oh, just leave that hanging so you can have coffee with me. Remember that Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse, Silas is looking at me going, oh no, I'm amongst a load of demons. Luke chapter 9 and verse 60. Uh, he said, remember this, there was a man who wanted to put off following Jesus because he wanted to bury his dad. Do you remember that? And Jesus said to him, let, leave the dead and, and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, this has been much badly interpreted over the years. So I'm just going to try and clear it up. Because basically what happens is, you go, no, don't do funerals. You know, let the dead bury, you know, that sort of stuff. No, that's not the case. It means that there are spiritually dead people who need, sorry, there are physically dead people that need burying. Agreed? 
That's what we're going to do with them, folks. Can't leave them in the front room like we used to do years ago or put them on the kitchen table. It just won't work. We'll never have a dinner again. So we can't do that. But it also means that there are spiritually dead people who can bury them. That's what this scripture means. So Jesus thought in terms, or was thinking in terms, which is why they didn't get it, in terms of people who walk around apparently with no life. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, okay, leave leave the dead to bury their own dead. There are people walking around here that are dead in this world. And the disciples went, hmm, and we go, hmm, I don't understand that text. Here again, the parable of the prodigal son, the father says in his return, what does he say about his son? He says, this is my son who was dead and is now alive again. He sees it in terms of death and life. And Nicodemus did not need any more religion. You and I don't need any more religion. Stop swinging the stuff and smelling the stuff and I will not going to wear one of them purple jobbies. Not ever. What is the skirt thing? Please take that off the internet. But what is this? It's true. What are we doing? And it's really interesting that millions of our people are attracted to religion. And actually, millions of our people need to be attracted to a new spiritual life. To be born again. You are not on a religious journey. You have been given a brand new life and you should be living in a brand new and different way. That's what it is. It is we'll come back to that right at the very end. It is also supernatural, not affirming it. Something has occurred in you is miraculous powerful, supernatural. It is of creative power and is the same creative power that, what did, what, that created the earth and rose Jesus from the dead. We have amongst us an incredible amount of people where God has broken into. What, so what happens here? If you look at verse 2, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, I know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. In other words, Nicodemus sees in Jesus a genuine divine activity guy. He admits that Jesus is from God. Yeah, I can see this. Jesus seems to be able to do the words of God and the works of God. To this, Jesus doesn't respond. He doesn't respond by saying, you should see the stuff that I've done in Palestine. He doesn't say, what? Let me tell you about the miracles that I did yesterday. He didn't do that. In fact, he let it go. It's almost as if Nicodemus is saying, I've, I have noticed that you do supernatural stuff. You know, the weird bit, the signs and wonders bit. I've noticed that you do this. And Jesus looks at him in the eye and didn't go, yeah, punch my ministry. Come on. He looks him in the eye and he says, you must be born again or you will not enter the kingdom of God. That is an extraordinary statement because seeing a sign and a wonder and being amazed by them and giving the miracle worker credit and saying that they're from God actually doesn't save anybody. It doesn't. 
And we can have that. We can have people that are impressed with church. They come to church because the church does nice coffee. Comes to church because the church has good friends. Comes to the church because even the church has great worship or on occasions when Nigel does pull it off, good preaching. You can do that. You can have people that come to there that they are impressed with all the peripheral things but not the main issue. We can gather people like that and week in, week after. We don't need to be amazed by this. Let me just say this. The old fallen nature is also impressed with signs and wonders. It is. How do I know that? Because the devil acknowledges that Jesus does miracles. Mark chapter 1 verse 4. See, being a part of this doesn't cut it. Being a part of somewhere else doesn't cut it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless God has done something powerfully, supernaturally, transformingly in your life, that's what we're looking for. That's what God's looking for. He's not looking for people that, have, that attend even. He's looking for people where God has broken into their lives. In other words... What matters is not affirming, hey, there's some supernatural stuff and that's great, but actually experiencing the supernatural for yourself. Nicodemus could see over there and Jesus wanted him to see in here. He wanted to see him. He wanted him to know that, that being born again is as supernatural as the signs and wonders that Nicodemus had known that he'd done. Verse 6 emphasized this. He says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. The spirit has done it. The flesh is what we are naturally. The spirit of God is the supernatural person that breaks into the new birth. Jesus says this again in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it will be... <laughs> So it will be. Uh, so it is uh, with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is not a part of the natural world. Therefore, you cannot be saved by doing natural things. You have to be saved by doing supernatural things, not natural things. Just to quote John Calvin, a guy that I understand very little about but did stand in front of his monument once and worshipped the monument. John Calvin says this, The Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us with himself. We need a work of God in our lives. So how does that work then? Well, we're united with Jesus through faith. John chapter 20 and verse 31 says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing that you may have life in his name. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 says, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Our faith. Born of God. Victory is an issue of faith, because faith is the way that we experience being born again. In the new birth, the Holy Spirit supernaturally 
breaks into your life. But you are not going to be born again unless you respond back to that by faith. You're not going to do it. There are many people that have known the Holy Spirit's work in their lives and have sat unmoved by that. Now, I guess the Bible says that those will, re, will come through by fire. That's what it says. But actually, when the Holy Spirit is working on us, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, it is not just something the Holy Spirit does. It isn't, hello, Holy Spirit, fun. Yeah. The, Holy, the idea of the Holy Spirit is literally that he's wanting us to therefore respond in faith. And it's no good just saying, well, I felt the work of the Holy Spirit. It isn't like that. You feel the work of the Holy Spirit. You respond in faith. You do something about it. That's why we often say, don't we, it's not about lying on the floor and feeling with our hands like, oh, wonderful. It's what happens when you get up. Because else what we do is that we stay like we were. Holy Spirit's work is expecting us to respond by faith. So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today about being born again, then you need to respond by faith. We'll come and explain what you should do later. But today I want to close by making some connections between being born again, the Holy Spirit, and having eternal life through Jesus. What we've seen so far is that we have to be born again. That it is a new life. And that it's supernatural. And that we have to respond to it by faith. But again, but in John chapter 6 and verse 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. What does that mean? But the Gospel of John makes something very clear. That Jesus is the life of the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit came to us, he came to us via Jesus' ascension. And when Jesus ascended, he said to us, I will leave you another, Alos, the same as, who will be with you. And the Holy Spirit is stirring us. He's moving upon us. He's provoking us and pushing us and touching us. And we are responding to what? To Jesus. That is our root. That is what we do when we get up in faith. Even whether we are, we are Christians or no, if the Holy Spirit is, re, is, respo- is speaking to us, our response is always Jesus. How do I know that? Because the, the, the reason the Holy Spirit exists is to glorify the Son. Therefore, if you've got something that is working in you, there is only one road to go, and that is to Jesus. That's where we go. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 6, verse 35 says, I am the bread of life. In Acts chapter 20, uh, sorry, John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written that you may believe. In who? Jesus Christ. Who, who gives you this new birth? Is it... Well, I see that I must... No, Jesus does. You walk towards Jesus. You, you shape. You've been now shaped by him. Following him. It's particularly... You can see it's got you. Jesus' disciples moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay, get out of the boat. What have I got to do? Follow him. We're on a journey of following Jesus. How are you following 
How are you moved by the Holy Spirit? Has he moved you enough? Because there's no life apart from him. There is no spiritual life, no eternal life apart from Jesus and belief in Jesus. The new birth, the Holy Spirit unites us with a permanent relationship with him. Jesus is the life. He tells us in John chapter 15, doesn't he? He talks about vine and branches. What's that mean? It means that we can't live apart from him. It means that, that when we're born again, that when the Holy Spirit's been upon it, and when we, we move into this completely new, different life, complete change, different, uh, different life, suddenly we, our resource, our focus, our aim, our project, our everything is him. Our whole life, husband and wife, whether we're doing that, our aim, husband and wife, okay, is now Jesus. When I'm running my family, as I'm running my family, my focus now is Jesus. What is the career that shapes me? The thing that shapes me is Jesus. Everything, whether I'm doing a degree or a master's, whatever I'm doing at university or whether I am, he, he's the vine and I, I'm just a branch of it. He is my focus. He is the one that brings me life. It's whom I exist for. Now, my wife's out at the moment. Good job, because I could be in trouble, but it's a true fact. Do I exist for my wife? In many ways, yes. But in the primary way, no. I exist for Jesus. Do I exist as a father to my children? Yes, I do. Are they my primary thing? No. Because my, it's a new life. I'm not living a life any longer with the, 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 the sort of the way that the flesh led it. The old life was that way. Now I'm leading a new life with him as king, with him as lord, with him as master. There's, and there's no point. That's the way that I am going. And we shouldn't separate these things. It all is the same. There's no new life apart from him. So please don't separate them. Faith is the way that we experience. John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. This is the testimony that God gave eternal life and that this life is the Son. Hear this. What brings you life? The Son. So I just feel a bit dull this morning, just a bit low, just a bit struggling. The Son has Life. It's nothing to do with the sun. It's to do with where you resource your life from. Those are the things. Therefore, when Jesus says it's the spirit who gives life and the flesh has no life at all and says that we must be born again. We are coming to this Jesus for not just our salvation, but for our life by faith. He is my life. He is my life. I wonder whether you've said, it was interesting, just going to do a Rupertism this morning. I want to just commend Rupert's restraint on Facebook yesterday as Wales strung through, burst through into the semi-finals of the World Cup. His restraint was commendable. Exceptional. 
that we didn't get a day of Facebook posts about the triumph of Wales and the failure of England. His humility was... But do you know, and it's really true, that people can resource life from the wrong places. And Rupert, if Wales gets to the... and win, your humility will be tested (laughs) if they win the World Cup. If they do not your disappointment will be tested. And that's the true of us all. Because, because what happens is he is our life. Do you believe in what Jesus said and what he did and why he did it? Do you believe that Jesus died in your place taking your sin? Do you believe that he diverted the anger of God upon himself Do you believe that he can forgive you of all your sins? Do you believe that he loved you so much that he died for you? Do you believe that he can give you a brand new life and bring you into his kingdom? Do you believe that you can receive this gift of life? If the answer is yes, it requires not just faith, it requires an active response and it requires you to live differently. If you are experiencing the Holy Spirit right now, then what you have to do is respond in faith, but also be committed that this is the end of the old life and the beginning of the new life. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He had lots of religion, but he had no spiritual life. And he saw the supernatural work in Jesus, but he didn't experience a supernatural work in himself. So putting those things together before we finally finish. What Nicodemus needed, Jesus said, was a new spiritual life imparted to him. It needed to be imparted to him supernaturally. It needed to be something of a work of the Holy Spirit. It needed to be something that made Jesus the number one person in his life and the reason that he was responding. And it needed to be something that would change him forever. Change him forever in verse 6 jesus says that which is born of the flesh is of the flesh and that which is born of the spirit is the spirit the flesh does have a kind of life doesn't it the flesh does i have a great attraction to banksy's original beer i believe that i can be refreshed of all with one pint of it it is something that I, having been born in Wolverhampton, it is the only beer that can do such things. But actually, that which is born of the flesh will remain flesh. But that which is born of the spirit will remain spirit. And every human kind needs to be born of the spirit. The, sp- the flesh will lead you to one kind of life. The Spirit will lead you to another kind of life. Being born again is saying, I will no longer live in the standards and the way that I lived before. I will leave that behind and now I will live in a completely different way. I will not live according to what the flesh gives, but the Spirit gives. So let's try and finish this. 
what happens in the new birth. The new birth, the Holy Spirit gives us a new spiritual life, connects us with Jesus Christ through his death by faith. Or to say it another way, the Spirit unites us with Christ. There our sins are cleansed. He replaces our hard heart with a responsive, soft heart that treasures Jesus above all other things. We're transformed. We desire to do his will now and not our long, our will. This is what has happened to us. So the question is this. Are you truly born again? Are you truly born again? Is it tagged on or is it completely different? Is it? Now, sometimes we need to ask, why was Nicodemus being, being confronted? What was up with the poor bloke? Did the poor bloke just stumble into Jesus when Jesus was having a baddie? He was in the night, for heaven's sake. Didn't Jesus run asleep? No. What he was saying to Nicodemus is that if you have a heart, therefore, to see things transformed for God, you have to realize the radical nature of being able to see that. That we need to be a people that will be living in a complete and utter different way. It will be a transforming act that transforms. And actually, if it's not a transforming act, we bring those half things, third things, and we try and try. And people say to us, don't they, you expect us to believe that and live like that? So born again is radical for us. Let's say that again in 2 Corinthians 15 to finally, finally. 2 Corinthians 5, sorry, you know this. For the love of Christ controls us. That's it. The love of Christ shapes us. The love of Christ affects us. Mm. Okay. Because we have concluded this. How does it shape me? How does it affect me? How does it govern me? How does it make my thinking change? How does it help me to shape the way that I live? question is asked by the Apostle Paul. Because we've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And if he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for what? Themselves, but for him. If it's been that good, if it is as good as you say it is, now we live for him. He's the one. We live for him who for their sake died and was raised. And from now on, therefore, we regard no one any longer according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come, and all this is from God. God, in bringing new birth to us, wants not only to realize what new new birth is, how it occurred, where it is pointing to, but actually that that is not the end of it. That actually that that has ended and now we live a complete and utter and different way. That's it. That's the way. But not only that, the Spirit came to us and broke into our lives at the day of salvation, and then said to us, well, I've done my work then, I'm just off to heaven, there's some great wine in heaven. No, he didn't. Jesus said, I will leave you. So this old life is not just left here as something stagnant and difficult. I can't live this new life. Do you know what it's like? No, 
He, will, he says, no, I will leave you. This is the first thing now. I will give you a power to live it from God. It isn't, hello, I can't do this. No, it is that you're not choosing to engage the power that was given to you from God. You can't say, it's so difficult, it's so hard. That wasn't the way that God designed it. God designed it so that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and the Holy Spirit would help us. It isn't that this is difficult. It is that we have not engaged in putting Jesus first and the Holy Spirit empowering us so that we can do these things. That's the issue, folks. The issue is really to do with, does, is Jesus first and am I empowered by this Holy Spirit? That's what the new has come. Not yet. No, it's not what the apostle possible. No, the new has come because I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness. The Spirit can help us. Power for Him. So, in conclusion to all this, let me just read some of these things and see whether they affect you. I don't know. I don't know whether they do. <laughs> I don't know whether they affect me. How will I choose to live, therefore? Will I choose to be live as born-again people? For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And if he died for all, and those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. And from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God. Shall we pray? Let's stand. We we belong in a day where 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 born again is something that is just And I think what would be really good would be just to just sort of just contemplate that a little bit and say, okay, what happened then? What happened when God saved you? What, what did happen? Or what happened? What was it for? What was the purpose? How should I be? Let's just ask God those questions in concluding. Father, we want to thank you for those that you have born again in this room by your supernatural work of your spirit. I want to ask you today that there, if there are people that do not know you, that they would be truly born again. That, Lord, that they would not live any longer in the flesh, as it were, but might receive this new life. And, Lord, it gives us an opportunity to ask again, what, what was it then in regard to being born again? <laughs> gives us an opportunity to say, why did you save us, Lord? What was your purpose in saving us? Why are we here? 
And Lord, we answer those by saying you saved us by your grace and by your love. And you saved us so that we might promote the person of Jesus. So we ask you today that we might be promoters of Jesus and acknowledges of the privilege of the new birth that has come our way in Jesus Christ. Amen.